How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the first episode of ARW All Radical Wrestling. I would say it's Tuesday, you know what that means, but it's the first episode, doesn't really apply. So I guess we'll have to wait until next week to start doing that gimmick, but it is what it is for the time being. Welcome, everybody, to, again, this first episode of a brand new podcast I am starting up here, Running Solo. My name is Adam, aka CS Radical, here with you guys. Thank you so much for checking out the show, and this is going to be an unabashed all elite wrestling podcasts as if there aren't enough of them out there but hey i need to get my voice out especially for the reasons that we're about to go into so there are a whole lot of things to really talk about as to why i'm doing this i used to do a a podcast at the very beginning of aew kind of just petered out mostly because doing podcasts and whatever else was really was really a hard thing to do at a certain time period as it was Eventually, it just went away. It's not like I never kept up with the product. That's always been a thing. But I've also, like, missed shows here and there. I catch highlights. You know, I I at least keep up with the news, but I'm not watching the product actively. And then in the last, really, a month, it's completely changed. And I still had no intentions of starting a podcast yet. You know, I had it in my brain and be like, man, I, I would really love to start talking AEW stuff again, because it is just getting so good. But I wasn't quite there. And then All Out happened, and, well, (laughs) there's a lot to talk about there now, isn't there? So, yeah, this is going to be here every Tuesday. Normally on this show, I'll probably be taking more notes. This is is completely just about All Out, but, like, the following show will be about Dynamite, will be about Rampage. I might talk about Elevation and Dark, maybe if there's something that I feel like talking about, but more often than not, it'll just be focusing on the two television shows. And then any news that we hear, and if there's any extra time, who knows, if it's like a weirdly slow week somehow. I mean, I don't know how you're going to have any big news days for the next little while, but after, let's say, Malachi Black debuting, we didn't think there was going to be anything coming, and now we have CM Punk, and now we have... A couple more names that I will get into. On the, okay, who am I kidding? You guys already know who it is. It's Adam Cole and Daniel Bryan. Not to mention Minoru Suzuki popping up next Wednesday. So, Or I guess tomorrow, if that's when you're listening to the show. Or it's already happened. And in most likelihood, it's already happened. And I'm sure we're all going to enjoy that. But I guess you'll have to find out for episode two to discover just how much I enjoyed that at least. But yeah, the last month basically has kind of got me back in that kick of like, I cannot miss a show anymore. And then obviously the news about like CM Punk and Daniel Bryan. Well, I guess now Bryan Danielson. That's that's going to take a minute to, to redo. It's funny because when you really think about it, Bryan Danielson shouldn't be hard for like old school wrestling fans to remember, especially if you grew up with him on the indies and in Ring of Honor. But because you've seen him as Daniel Bryan for so long, it's going to be a hard change. And I know I'm going to keep doing that for a little while. And hopefully it's the only other time I do that on the show. But I have a while to forget so the likelihood of that happening is uh i i feel like i'm gonna misspeak at least once more if not even more than that but we'll see how this shows goes but um it's it's been insane like even since the rampage a couple weeks ago where cm punk came back um everything's kind of gone back to me being that like late teens really getting into wwe again you know getting into college um you know, I have a friend who is in the business. I'm not going to name drop him because I don't want... He is an AEW. I don't want to name drop him, though, because I don't want to be that guy to be like, I know so-and-so. But I know I have one guy who I went to college with for television broadcasting. 
he got me back into wrestling because he was doing it on the independence and I went and saw him and it kind of got that love going and right around the same time bam pipe bomb and everything just shot back to normal CM Punk was a big deal for me and when he went away most of my interest in wrestling went away too now NXT you know as I sit here ironically wearing an NXT takeover shirt because I don't think I'm gonna have any interest in watching NXT ever again I also want to say on the show unless it directly applies to something like AEW could do like a release or something like that I don't really intend to talk much WWE on the show any, at all just because I don't care about the product anymore. There's there's a lot of reasons as to why. But, I mean, anybody who is watching AEW right now, you you know exactly all the reasons that it is. It feels like they don't make the show for us anymore. And that's fine. If the product's not for me, I can go watch the product that clearly is because holy hell this show. But going back to Punk, you know, knowing that he was coming back whether or not i took that room with any sort of validity because even though like you had all these sources being like yeah this is what i've heard too there's still that little bit in your mind like every everybody that showed up at that show at the united i think it's the united center in chicago you know for rampage they all sat there with like 99 percent assurity that he was going to be there but that one percent always gets you because you never know and as soon as he came out you know, I wasn't crying. I'm not the cry kind of guy. I can't really do it. It's not my thing. I don't know. I don't know why. I guess I'm just a heartless piece of shit, you know? But um, I it, there was a lot of emotion just going in there of like, not like overwhelming for me, like feeling like a kid again, just the utmost amount of joy that I felt for him to be able to come back to a business that basically he lost all interest of and to come back and looking happier than I think I've ever seen him. And, you know, obviously to, to do things really neat, like giving the ice cream bars out and everything, like you, you could see that everything had turned, he was back to being like the guy back in Ring of Honor that was crying when he was leaving. And, you know, here we are two weeks later, all out. And man, like what a fucking show. I, I can't, words really can't describe how well these guys nailed it out of the park like there is you you that they shot the ball out of the stratosphere like it's gone you're never going to see this ball again um i went into the show knowing it was going to be a good show i mean you look at that card it's stacked there's no way that it wasn't going to be a good show you just wondered okay well this match could slip maybe this won't be so good maybe this could be a bit of a dud Honestly, the only match I honestly have a problem with on the show is going to be the Battle Royal, but it still had a good had a good ending to it, so it doesn't really matter in the end. Every match on this card is fine, if not amazing, and you know, we'll get that down the road as we continue here on the show. I just want to say one more thing. Um AEW since day 1 kind of brought me back to wrestling and you know, now that we stand here, it's Monday evening. You know, I'm just getting ready to to boot this first episode up out of the ground and be happy to start talking about wrestling again. And I don't know if there has been a time in my life where I was this this interested in wrestling. You know, as a kid growing up, you know, watching Stone Cold and The Rock and The Undertaker and everybody else in the Attitude Era, it was big, but it was also just like me being as a kid just gravitating to anything. But I wasn't really like actively invested in everything going on 
Um, then you fast forward to I left for a little bit during like the John Cena like post ruthless aggression era, and like I said, a friend of mine who works in AW and I met through the independence and through college. You know, he got me back in CM Punk's pipe bomb hit, and I was pretty deep into that, and I kept up. You know, paid attention to what was going on behind the scenes as as most of us do, and it was a lot. And then I kind of lost a little bit of love in the last couple of years. You know, I still kind of kept up with NXT. I'd watch the takeovers, but I really wasn't keeping up with much either. I'd maybe catch the Rumble, maybe even Mania, although Mania, I've learned, is not always the the show that I think it will be anymore. But for the most part, you know, I kept up with wrestling. But AEW basically said, okay, here's something else. And I went, all right, I like watching New Japan once in a blue moon. I watch Wrestle Kingdom. I usually will watch, like, dominion as well maybe a little i'll catch like bits of the g1 whatever everybody else is talking about but aside from that there was nothing and then AEW is like hey we're gonna be like the counter product to wwe without being competition they're just gonna be the counter and i went screw it you know i i really want to like wrestling as much as i used to like let's see what they do and for you know the first few months like or or sorry i should i should go back like the pay-per-views were really really good that got me back in and then once dynamite started then it was a you know probably up until about probably full gear is when like i started petering away from watching television every week just because like i just maybe i was busy with some things or maybe i was like "Ah, i'll catch you later or maybe i'll just catch the highlights and it was probably just a matter of like I'm still trying to get my interest, like, they're still trying to figure out where they want to go, and, you know, I'd still catch up with the pay-per-views, like, I watched Revolution just before the pandemic obviously started, and that was an incredible show, and I did watch every single pay-per-view, I've paid for every pay-per-view, I've made sure that I've caught them, and, you know, I haven't regretted any of them, they've always been good shows, some better than others, but they've all been good shows, and now, really since CM Punk, and now All Out has basically all but cemented that, I'm in. I'm all in, you know? So, like I said, the show from now on, hopefully every Tuesday I get these out to you. I'm probably going to record these not on Monday nights, maybe on the weekends when I have some time for you to really get into it, but they will be out Tuesday as like a precursor before Dynamite. We'll be going through whatever happens on Dynamite, whatever happens on Rampage. If there's a pay-per-view as well, there's also that. But all that stuff, including news, anything of interest... But this episode, this week, this first episode is just about the pay-per-view and just about me being back into pro wrestling. So next week, you'll see a much more note-taking, like keeping up with stuff. This is just like, I'm going to literally just gush for, I don't know, know, another 45 minutes to an hour. We'll see how it goes. But yeah, all out in Chicago at the Now Arena, I believe it was. Um, I did not catch the buy-in, so I did not see the best friends and Jurassic Express beating the Hardy family office. I mean, it's not really a match that was supposed to be of any intrigue anyway, because it was just put there because the pack Andrade El Idolo match was not going to be on the card, hence why the Casino Battle Royal was now on the main show. And now looking, you know, as I'll get to the Battle Royal as well, but it makes sense that the Battle Royal was going to be on the buy-in because... Yeah, it was it it was not what it needed to be, but you know, like I said, we'll get into that in a minute and we'll talk a little bit deeper about it. But we did start off the show with the Redeemer Miro going up against Eddie Kingston. The Redeemer up against the Mad King. The uh Eddie Kingston saying he was going to, you know, 
take everything that you know Eddie or uh, Miro loved away from him, including his championship belt. Uh, Eddie's saying that his God, Miro's God, I should say, sent him to punish him because he's a sinner. They did just the bare minimum just to kind of get you know any sort of little bit of a story out of it because Miro's really just calling people out. That's all he's really doing. And I mean, if anything, Eddie Kingston has now got a best-selling shirt out of that because there's no way Redeem D's nuts is not going to be selling a bunch of shirts. Oh boy, what what an intelligence! Whether it was his decision or Tony's decision or somebody at AEW, let's just be like, dude, we need to put that on a shirt right now because that's going to get over so well, and you know it will. It's the internet, of course, it's going to get over well. Um, I went into this match thinking that I honestly I was sitting looking at this card being like there's got to be at least one title win like you can't have a show of this magnitude and not have like one title change and I honestly figured this was going to be the one because I didn't think there was a chance in hell that any of the elite or Britt Baker would win so my brain went it makes no sense but I feel like somebody's got to win and if anybody's going to take out Miro it seems like Eddie's a great choice for it but in the end Eddie did everything he could he went for the neck, doing the suplexes, did end up getting a DET, but couldn't quite get it. And then at one point, I think it was because the turnbuckle was taken off, if I'm not mistaken. I may be mixing it up, but I think it was the turnbuckle. And Miro kind of had the referee cornered. Eddie's trying to like get a hold of him too. And Miro takes that opportunity and the ref's not able to see anything, gives him the low blow, and then gives him a couple swift kicks. And that was it. Miro retains the title. That was a pretty good opening match. Um, if you're looking, you know, two guys, just a lot of strikes, a lot of suplexes, you know, almost. I mean, they basically started the show with two New Japan kind of matches, right? Like you got Miro and Eddie Kingston, you got Moxley and Kojima, which we'll, we'll get into in a moment. They really just did start off with like, this is just going to be heavy, just pounding action for two matches in a row. And both of them delivered very well. This one specifically did a great job of keeping Kingston looking like the fucking monster that he is, and he's way over. And obviously with the line like redeem these nuts is going to be good. And it also brings out like, now that they've had this finish where he got the low blow, it makes me wonder if this feud is over or not. And I kind of doubt it because now you have the Arthur Ashe show. Now you have a show in New York. That's Kingston's turf. So you wonder, assuming that they're able to do uh, the show in Arthur Ashe because there always are the COVID concerns. That's why Danielson did appear on All Out uh, on Sunday night because the rumors were saying that they they want to make sure that they get this in with fans in the in the in the in the audience. They wanted to make sure that that was there so that they could get the most out of that moment. So there was always a chance that at Arthur Ashe, assuming there's fans, you know, this is where they're gonna possibly switch it out for uh, Kingston being the TNT champion, which I think would be. An unbelievable like thing to see, you know, as a guy who watched Eddie in Chikara for a while, you know, I've known of this guy for a long time and the Wiley veteran that just came in, cut a hell of a promo in his debut where he was just supposed to be a one-off match against Cody. They end up signing him. If you watch, say the, um, the tribute episode of being the elite and you see the backstage, uh, speech he gave, you know, this guy's a locker room like leader. He is a fantastic guy to have in that room. And then now with all of the other people in there, like you have guys from all these different backgrounds where you have like your Eddie Kingston's who just of indie veteran, you got guys like Sting and Christian and Chavo and all these other guys that have done the big time. And here's Eddie who is, he knows how the grind works and he's done everything and he survived it. So you have all these different guys and Eddie is like the symbol of any, 
you know, working man, like blue collar, you know, wrestling fan that's looking at him being like, that's me. And, you know, if he's able to get the title in Arthur Ashe, assuming that's, you know, what they lead into, it's going to be long overdue. I don't think he'd last very long. I think Miro would get the belt back pretty quickly. That would be my guess. Because I feel like Eddie Kingston being a longtime champion would not necessarily be needed. And I don't know if I would believe it either. Like, it's not to take any shots at Kingston, but I think if I wanted somebody to have the title for a lot longer, he probably wouldn't be the first one I think of. And it would still also would make sense that, like, this great moment happens and Miro takes it away almost immediately. Whether that's, you know, I guess Full Gear would be the next pay-per-view in, what, November, I think it would be. So I suppose they could do that, but it would be a long time. So I feel like maybe... It would be one of either two things. Like, assuming that I'm right in all of these things, either Miro's going to fight at full gear and Eddie's going to have, like, one or two defenses in between while Miro, like, gets himself ready to take his to take his uh, his title back. Or it just happens, like, either the next night, the next Dynamite, or, you know, the next week, maybe either on Dynamite or Rampage, or maybe a couple weeks down the road. Either way, you know, I can't... I can't see a reign for Kingston lasting very long intentionally because I think they want Miro to be a longer champion. But I, I still would really hope to see Kingston at least hold a belt. And I don't think it's going to be the world title. And it, and I don't think it's going to be the tag titles anytime soon either. So the TNT Championship, especially now that we had the low blow, and there's a reason for them to do one more match, it makes sense. And you can do you, you can have that moment at least for him. So that, that's something that like he can at least say that I want a title on a major show. It's something that he could... Not retire on tomorrow, but retire in like a couple of years or however long he wants to go still, where he can at least hang his hat up and saying, I I won a title on a big show. I won a title on television. I won, you know, I did it, you know, essentially. But yeah, it was a good match. Um, I guess I'm gonna I guess I got a good star ratings, don't I? So uh let's say for this match, I'll give it a solid three, like you know, it was it was a pretty good match. Like, I can't make any complaints about it aside from it. Just I wasn't blown away by it, but it was a solid match to start the show out. Did everything it needed to do. It got Eddie to be somebody that fans could connect with even more because he came so much closer, but he got robbed. So, did everything that we needed to, and, you know, great match in the end. Then we move on to John Moxley versus Satoshi Kojima. Kojima-san, a.k.a. the leader of Bread Club. I was initially disappointed that this was going to be the announced match because everybody thought like okay he's he's going after new japan guys and we're thinking okay it could be so many guys like especially because new japan just did that show not too long ago in la so you have all these possibilities not to mention will osprey is in the u.s right now you could have like jay white show up you could have tanahashi as everybody was kind of thinking because of you know lance archer dropping the u.s title to Tanahashi after he beat Moxley for it, but this seems like something that we might see down the road, hopefully when COVID dies down, at least to an amount that, like, you know, maybe Japan can go really back and forth a lot easier. Who knows? Maybe it's a G1, or not a G1, a Wrestle Kingdom thing. Who knows? Maybe it's something that we don't get till Revolution. Who knows? But you almost get the feeling that, like, everything that's going on with Moxley now is leading up to Tanahashi in the U.S. title, but it's a matter of when. And until then, he's running through the gamut of New Japan guys because, well, the guy's got nothing else to do. And it seems like what they're hoping for is that he go he goes towards Tanahashi at some point. So they're finding ways to get like these New Japan guys in there to just kind of balance things out. So initially when it was Kojima, I was disappointed, but then my brain kind of connected the dots and went, wait, 
they're probably leading this into something else. And I guess I was right, but not in what I was expecting. But we'll get to that in a moment. The match itself, pretty fine. Like, again, same thing as Miro and Kingston. You know, just a hard-hitting match. A lot of strikes. A lot of strikes. A lot of slaps. A lot of clotheslines. This match was not quite as good. But I also think that's because, again, the crowd involvement was not the same. Because you could tell a lot of people, they knew of Kojima, but they didn't really know what he was about. But, I mean, people were still pretty happy. Like, they understood the chop stuff, the machine gun chops, but everything else, it wasn't quite there. And it really did feel like Moxley was kind of playing a bit of a heelish route. Although, at the same time, Moxley has always been this violent, you know, I'm going to dismantle you kind of personality. So, it wasn't quite, but he was doing some things you would consider heelish, like the extra stomps and stuff like that. But for the most part, no one was really going to cheer against him because why would you? It's Moxley. And in the end, he did hit a quick, I think it's the Death Rider if he doesn't lift him in the air. Just the straight up double arm, the underhook DDT. I think it's normally the Death Rider if it's without the without the full on pickup. And then the paradigm shift is the full on like lifting him up and then slamming him down in the double hook DDT. But either way. You gotta if it's just, if I'm right on that, it was a Death Rider and then a Paradigm Shift. Moxley does win, and I'm sitting there being like, "All right, pretty fine match." Like if I was to give it two and a half stars, like almost as good as the Miro Kingston match, just not quite. I still enjoyed it a lot because again, I am a New Japan guy as well, so I was happy to see Kojima in there. But I'm sitting there being like, "All right, that was pretty good." You know, I guess we'll see what's up next. And all of a sudden, I hear music playing, and I'm like. Okay, I'm trying to think, like, whose music is that? Because you can only kind of hear it a little bit, and the fans are also, like, freaking out a little bit. And as soon as they pan to the entrance, and I just see the raindrops in, like, the the middle uh, LED screen they have, I went, oh, my God. And I said that out loud, and literally the first thing Excalibur says is, oh, my God. And I was watching with a bunch of friends. They all laughed because, you know, I called it not Minoru Suzuki showing up, but I called just what the next line was going to be. But yeah, Murder Grandpa, Minoru Suzuki, just shows up. And I don't think anybody was expecting that. I knew he was going to be in the U.S. Because I think it's some—I think it's sometime in late September they're doing shows and he's supposed to be on that card. But my brain thought, well, that's too soon. I don't think he'd be in the U.S. early. And then my brain didn't think of quarantining, right? So I wasn't prepared to see him show up. And all of a sudden, there he is. And I'm thinking... Holy shit, we're going to get Moxley Suzuki again. And I and I remember the last time those guys fought, and it was incredible. And we had some friends that have never seen wrestling before, and, and we, we said, man, we're so sad that you're not here to see this on Wednesday night because it turned out it was going to be Wednesday night. We didn't say directly when it was going to be because we didn't know at the time, but you know, we said, like, we feel bad that you guys aren't going to see, like, a full match of this because these guys are just going to kill each other for like 15 minutes. Now we got a little bit of a taste. We got a bunch of strikes. They were laughing at each other because, you know, they just apparently love pain and violence as much as they do. I mean, it makes sense. We see how both of them act in New Japan. It kind of makes perfect sense. But, you know, it's, you know, Moxley, they, he did his best. And then, you know, Murder Grandpa was just like, all right, that's enough. Kick the shit out of him, put him in the sleeper hold, and then put him in the gotch pile driver and that was it. Laid him out. And that was it. And then we heard, I don't know if it was right after or like later down the line in the show, we found out that this Wednesday, those two are going to be facing each other. And oh boy, that's going to be fun to watch. But yeah, 
two out of five star match for that, and then a fantastic surprise uh, debut, I guess, for Minoru Suzuki. So when you think about it now, like he's faced Nagata, he's faced Kojima, he's now going to face Suzuki. I mean, you can't get any of the old guys back now that Suzuki's out. He's the best one. But I mean, you always could just out of nowhere just say like, oh, here's Tenzon. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to see that. But like, it does make me wonder if they are leading to anything beyond Suzuki. Because I mean, how many other guys are you going to get? Because at some point, you got to bring in, you got to bring in the creme de la creme. So unless you're breaking in like, a Jay White or an Osprey, you, like your only roads left are going to be Tanahashi. Unless you're, are you going to send Yoshihashi or Hiroki Goto down there? I guess you could, but I mean, Mox has already fought Kenta on New Japan Strong, so eventually he's going to start running out of New Japan opponents. So I think either he's going to go, like either Moxley's going to go away for a little bit after this thing with Suzuki. I mean, they've got so much talent now; they could easily make room for Moxley to just disappear for a couple of months. Or I guess maybe they'll just find him something else to do in the meantime. Who knows? But yeah, there, there's so much going on there, and that's going to be really exciting. Uh, next up, the AEW Women's Championship. Britt Baker up against Chris Statlander. Um, oh yeah, I guess I should have said earlier in the predictions, I knew Moxley was going to win. I don't think that was a question. Here, same deal. Didn't think it was going to be a question. Britt Baker should be retaining. As much as I love Chris Statlander, and I think she will be a champion at some point, this just didn't seem like the right time. I, th- I feel like, especially because we knew that Ruby Soho, which, again, we'll get into the Battle Royale in a moment, but uh, we knew that she was coming. Not to mention, I f- really do feel like Thunder Rosa should be the next champion. So, you know, I, as much as I would have liked to see Statlander win, and I did kind of have a moment where I was like, man, like, she could, but it didn't happen. Britt Baker did end up retaining. Um... I was surprised there really wasn't... I don't, I'm don't. i trying to remember. I don't think there was any interference in that match. I'm actually thinking about it. I don't believe there was. If there was, it's not surprising. I really... I, I gotta say, like... I know why the fans are really into Baker. But, like, I also understand when a heel is being a heel. And, like, she's got the interference. You know, she's got the weapons that she's using. Like, she's cheating a lot. And fans are letting that one go. And I get it. I guess they feel like it's the Steve Austin, like she bled for us kind of stuff. Like she's a badass, but like, I I don't, I don't feel the urge to cheer her at this point. Even when she was a face, I didn't like it. And then when she became a heel, I understood. Now there are cool heels. I will watch. Obviously I'm a big Omega and I'm a big Bucks fan and, and whatever else Baker though. I actually look at and be like, she's doing her job. She's making me not want to cheer for her. And when I see, as many people cheer for her as they do. I'm a little put off by it, but hey, what am I going to do? Tell you guys to do what you want to do in the crowd? Like, that's dumb. But it's all every time that I hear her get cheered a lot, I'm like, man, like, you know she's the heel. Like, you, you got to commit to that a little bit. I understood Red Velvet getting uh, booed a lot because, look, I I still have my reservations with Red Velvet. I don't think she's she's meant to be a face, especially when stirring it up is not exactly, like, something a good guy should be doing in, in this sort of in, in the wrestling biz, but you know, either way, going back to the match, there were a couple of moments that I thought Statlander might finish it off. She kept going for that submission hold, and I'm sitting there being like, she, you're not going to tap out Baker. But when Baker was up on her shoulders, electric chair style, I sat there being like, she could turn that into a Big Bang Theory. She totally could. And I'm waiting for her, and then all of a sudden it just doesn't turn anything. I'm like, damn. And then the lockjaw, that's it. The match was fine. Again, pretty decent match. Statlander had a moment where 
she was trying to was it a suplex or a power bomb? I think it was a suplex from the top rope. And I guess Baker slipped or like she lost her grip on Baker and just the strength of her still being able to like hold her there. Like she readjusted and then did it. I'm like, wow. Cause we already saw on rampage the prior uh, Friday that she had, I think it was hater in the, um, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but like the, like the, like the Mark Henry with the world's strongest slam kind of thing, like the front press or whatever it is. She had Hater up there, and then she had Rebel on either like holding onto her from behind or on her shoulders, and did a full on move with that. And I was like, "That's incredible!" So Statlander is incredibly strong. She almost kind of feels like she's playing like the Cesaro of the women's division of just being like that unbelievably strong. Like, like you you can tell that she's got some strength in there, but and then she just supersedes whatever you expect her to have. So. Yeah, I still love the fact that, like, she came out of nowhere, has just wrecked, wrecked shit since she's come in, and has been a fantastic addition to that women's roster that really needed it back when it first started. And then you pair with the best friends, and it works out perfectly. And I love the fact, too, that Orange Cassidy, for a moment, tried and got really animated, being like, come on, Chris, get in there, like, when she was nearly getting counted out. And you never see Orange Cassidy, like, get that, like, emotionally invested like in terms of his voice you always see him go the whatever route whenever he's talking he will try harder in the ring but vocally he's never been that enthusiastic so that was really cool to see as well and it made you wonder too like that again that was that suspension of disbelief like holy shit maybe she is gonna actually win and then no it doesn't happen but regardless it was a really good match i'd say that's a three-star match as well really solid but we'll move on to easily the best match on the card without even thinking about it. I don't think anybody's going to argue this one. The AEW Tag Team titles were on the line in a steel cage with the Young Bucks going up against the Lucha Brothers. You had Mikey... I believe that was Mikey Ruckus at the start um, doing the Lucha Brothers entrance music. And he brought... I can't remember the guy's name. It was a Spanish name, so I'm not going to remember. I actually did not like him getting brought in. I thought it was perfect as it was with Mikey Ruckus doing his bit. The second they brought the Spanish guy in there, it felt like the guy was not in time with the music, so it wasn't working. It it felt off. If it had just been Mikey doing his thing, it would have been fine. And it was pretty awesome for when it started. I was expecting them to come out to that, and then that was it. But entrance was still cool. You had the guys coming up with this like Aztec headdresses. That looked really cool. I'm glad that Penta did not come out to the Joker makeup anymore. I think he needs to stop using that. That's like a once in a blue, like that's that's like a one-time thing. And now he kept doing it. And it's like, no, like we we just want to see like the either the black and gold or the black and white. Like that's what you are. We don't want you to be like this comic book character all the time. Like it doesn't make sense for you. So going back to the normal stuff, I was pretty happy about that. And what can what can I say about this match? We all prayed, me and my friends at the start, be like, okay, everybody pray for Phoenix's body. We knew the Young Bucks were going to do anything stupid ever again because I think it was Nick who said after that match, like they're not going to do any, after that, sorry, the Escala, the Escalero de la Muerte match from, oh God, which show was that? I can't remember which show specifically it was now, but like that ladder match was insane. Like you get like the freaking Canadian destroyer off the ladder through a table, like all that stuff where they're like, man, we can't be doing that stuff again. So I was sitting there being like, they got a really tall cage. I don't think they're going to do anything like remotely stupid. I can imagine like 
Phoenix do like I figured it was gonna be Phoenix doing whatever it was. It was either just gonna be a straight, you know, plancha on top of everybody, or I thought he might do the corkscrew, like just spin a bunch. But in the end, he just did the big plancha off the top. A lot of the match was really well done. No real interference ever came. Like color never sprayed anybody. Nobody was trying to climb the cage. It was just those those guys just went at it. And back and forth, you had, you know, the cage used a bunch of times. Eventually, um, they I think they tried to do bang for your buck and it didn't get the get didn't get the win so they called Cutler to deliver the black bag that had the thumbtack shoe in it which props to Cutler for making that on the first try that's not a that's not a small cage that was going to be a difficult throw to make no matter what all it takes is like just you being a little bit off in the hand and it can slip out and you could have been trying that forever and the fact that he did it first try was pretty impressive you know that's a lot of pressure so he gets a thumbtack, uh, Nike out, you know, a couple of super kicks. And Penta was just profusely bleeding. Not as much as his, uh, his, I can't remember what they called the match, but like the straight up, like no holds barred match with Vampiro and Lucha Underground where like his mask was completely torn. Like I, I basically knew what his face looked like at that point. And then he was just drenched in blood. I think Dustin Rose would have been blushing at that one. But both uh, him and Phoenix were bleeding. I think Nick was the one bleeding by the end of it. Matt didn't really have any anything going on, but a lot of stuff going on. And then eventually, as you know, just the fans were just eating this up because of all the, all the cage spots. The Canadian destroyer off the top rope was pretty badass looking. And but eventually, in the end, I th- I think it was the assistive package pile driver. I'm I'm not quite remembering the finish because it was just like. I was already like burnt out from the entire match of just like how many crazy stuff was going on in there without it being like over the top, like dangerous, like they like we're normally used to seeing from these guys, but like just a whirlwind of moves. Finally, Lucha Brothers actually win the match, which surprised the hell out of me. I got a, you know, I had a pretty loud audible cheer when they won because I didn't expect them to win that. It made sense for them to do it. It made sense for them to be the ones, but I always thought, okay. It's the first time that the Bucks have to fight without the interference. I figured they would have at least one of those matches where they're still able to pull it off because you got to make the heels be like, even when, you know, you take all their toys away, they can still get it done. But in this case, they failed to do so. Lucha Brothers are your new AEW Tag Team Champions. Long overdue. I, I was I was surprised these guys weren't the first ones. But then again, SCU was an interesting choice because... The whole thing I loved about the first bit with AEW with all their initial champions is that they went off the board. Like, SCU winning first, Riho winning first, even Jericho winning first, although I think all of us assumed it was going to be Omega and Jericho in, in the in the first round, and I think it was because Pac couldn't make it that they changed up the order and eventually ended up being Jericho beating Paige. But the only one that I guess everybody expected was Rhodes being the TNT champion because he had to hold something. He he's he's never going to get the world championship, maybe. But I mean, now with the roster that's out there, I don't know if Rhodes is even able to be in like a top tier, like you know, main eventer anymore because you got all these guys. Who knows? We'll see what happens down the line. But man, Lucha Brothers winning the tag titles, I'm not gonna hate on that. I don't think anybody will. These guys are arguably the best tag team in the business right now. And it just it's going to make it even more fun when you wonder if they're going to turn heel because there's still the whole stuff with Andrade. Obviously, we'll know on Rampage uh, this upcoming Friday when he and uh, Pac finally have their match that 
did not happen. I actually side note, I did love the fact that like Chava was like, because Andrade asked him like, did you do anything with the travel? She's like, no, like I I don't I don't even know how like I could stop American Express. Like I don't even have American Express or not American Express. American Airlines' number. Almost like hinting like, yeah, I totally did something. Shh. Like it was a nice little nod, nice little bit. So we all still kind of assume that Lucha Brothers and Andrade are going to end up coming together at some point. Makes sense. And I think Pac's better on his own anyway. You know, he kind of has a similar thing of Moxley where it's just like, I'm not, I'm not good. I'm not bad. I just want to fuck everybody up and get the hell out of my way. You know, I just want what I want. So this was a fantastic match. I think most people are going to put it at five stars. I'm doing the exact same. This was... If I really put it next to the uh, Hangman Page, Kenny Omega versus the Bucks match, I really don't know which one I love more. I've heard like Meltzer and uh, Alvarez talking about how that was their their favorite tag match ever. I don't know if I can really put, I don't know which one I decide. I still figure like I'd probably end up picking the Revolution tag match with Page and Omega against the Bucks just because like I legitimately fell out of my seat because I thought near falls were coming and or I thought the finishes were coming and they were near falls. Like I I probably still give it to that one just for like the emotion of me just like constantly falling out of my chair thinking like this match was over and it's still going. Like I probably would still give that the edge. But in terms of like a tag team like cage match or even like just cage match in general, this might be my favorite cage match next to well I guess it's not a hell in a cell match, so it doesn't count. So yeah, I guess I can't put it up to like uh mankind and taker. But if in terms of just straight cage match, this might be my favorite. Yeah, I guess I could go with that too. But yeah, five-star match for that. Easily the best match on the card. And then we get to what honestly was not was my least favorite, even though I loved the end. But the Women's Casino Battle Royal. Um, I still do not like the Casino Battle Royale in terms of how it's designed. I don't like the five people coming out. I know why they do it. Because it can make the Battle Royal shorter. And you can get, you know, a lot more on the same card. But I keep saying, look, just do the full entrances. Do a full 21 people. Like, you can just do the deck of... Or even just do, like, a deck of cards. I don't I don't know. I'd rather just you do just straight up, like... I don't know. Like, I'm trying... Actually, you know what? If you ever had 30, you honestly could do... You know, like, well, no, there's four suits. I'm really trying to think of like a way around around this thing because I don't like the five people. I know they do it for time, but I just don't. I don't like the fact that they have the entrances the way that they are because it really doesn't give you a lot of time to like be happy that somebody's coming to the ring. You get the first one, like every time a new suit came out, you got the first entrance. You got like Sheeta, you got like Anna J, you got Thunder Rosa, so you got that first pop. But then, like, other people don't quite get their entrances. So it wasn't... I don't know if I like that. Because I'd rather you have, like, the full entrance so people can have their moment to cheer. And then you can put, like, like special entrances not just at the Joker. Because all everybody's doing now is not really caring about who comes in at the first 20 spots. Because they know that the Joker is the important spot. You know, I'd rather they do it so that you never know when the surprise is coming. But, you know, it worked out here that everybody was anticipating Ruby Soho. They were all ready for it. As soon as the Joker was coming up, they cheered it. So maybe it does work. Maybe I maybe all I really want is, like, one specific battle royal where it's that's the big one. Like, maybe with the guys it's easier because it's easier to pull together 30 guys like a Royal Rumble would be. 
and maybe you have like I could see them doing like one more pay-per-view like leading up to say all out like you got double or nothing and then you have like another show like somewhere around like June June like July to set up for like the big main event like championship match at all out because all out is basically the Wrestlemania as, as and this show definitely was that but either way you know, I I still like my Battle Royals because I like to see everybody get a shot and get to show their stuff. And this is why I'm going to tell you why I don't like this Battle Royal. A lot of people just didn't get a chance to do anything. This reminded me a lot of, like, when you get the New Japan Battle Royals at the start of Wrestle Kingdom on, like, the pre-shows where nothing gets accomplished. It's just a bunch of, like, people coming out really quickly. The fact that the the last five people did not come out with Sheeta still in that ring is unacceptable. You know, me and my friends were talking during the Battle Royal that this is why people think AEW does not care about its female roster. This is why they think that, you know, they don't care about booking the women well. Even though this roster, especially now when you add Ruby Soho into the mix, you might have a roster that can actually beat WWE's roster in terms of putting on good matches, in terms of actually telling good stories. But you're not doing it yet. And I thought that, you know, being able to have another hour with Rampage, you'd be able to get some more female content on there, but they're not telling stories yet. Now, I'm hoping that All Out is bucking that trend, but I've been asking, like, we've been hoping they've been bucking that trend for pay-per-view after pay-per-view, and it's starting to get annoying because even though that we have, like, a bunch of people on this roster that we really like. You got Baker, you got Statlander, now you got Soho, you got Thunder Rosa, you have Hikaru Shida, you have Anna Jay and Tay Conti like, and Nyla Rose. And I could go on. The fact that you have a really solid base to pick from now, because the whole thing in the very beginning is they did not have an ample roster. They just didn't have it. Once the pandemic started, it screwed everything up because you couldn't get the Joshis in there anymore. And that really messed around with stuff. And now... There's no excuse anymore. Now you got Jamie Hayter in there who is going to be a star, you know, as she keeps getting better and better. I mean, hell, you even have like somebody like Sky Blue who I don't know if they're going to keep around, but they put her in the Battle Royal after that match on Dark and she looked very impressive. You never know what goes on with that. You still have the Joshis that when the pandemic kind of either we get to a point where we just accept it and we start sending people over willy nilly again. Um, you still have guys like Yukasak our girls like Yuka Sakazaki or um, Ryo Mizunami. You have all these other women that you can still go to. Maki Ito. Like, there's a lot to make this division incredibly good. And we just aren't getting the stories told the same way that we are with the guys. And that's disappointing. And again, to go back to the Battle Royal, she does out way too early. Riho basically shows up and is gone immediately. That, that was your first women's champion. And she's just gone like that. Anna Jay out relatively quick. Tay Conti didn't really get to do much after that either. But you do get to the Joker. You do get Ruby Soho. She does have the Rancid song. Fantastic. That song is, is just so easy to get behind when it comes on. She looked fantastic. The, whole, the hair, the makeup, the, the gear, everything. She looked like a bonafide star from the moment she stepped out of that tunnel the fans recognized her as such and good god just like CM Punk did she look so damn happy when she came out like just every bit of like weight on her body just lifted and is gone and it's all back to like her loving things again 
And sure enough, we get down to the final three. I can't remember what the final four was, but it was Rose with uh, Rosa and she, and um, and Soho. And I said to my friends, I'm like, it better be Rosa or Soho because, good Lord, I want the fans to have to be like, shit, we have to choose because they love Rosa, but Soho is such a cool new addition. And sure enough, Rose gets knocked out and everybody has that moment of like, oh... And I'm sitting there being like, I actually don't know who I want to win. I don't hate either option. But my brain was like, I feel like Rosa has to be the champion next. So I'm like, okay, so it's got to be Rosa, right? And then Soho wins. And my brain goes, okay, I guess Soho's going to fight on a Dynamite or a Rampage main event. And Full Gear's going to lead to Rosa getting the title, hopefully, against Britt. That's my assumption. I don't think Ruby would win in her first title match. Because it seems so quick that she would just come in and just win. I would love to see it because she deserves it. She got no love in WWE. No love. I really, like, even in NXT, she really didn't get a chance to put to put her foot down because she got called up so quickly with uh, Liv Morgan and Sarah Logan. So I want her to get that run. I think Ruby should be a title holder at some point. I don't know if this will be it. I want it to be, but I think that they're still saving Rosa to be the one who inevitably beats Baker. So my brain going in is that it's going to be, you know, a random dynamite or a rampage, and that's going to be when the title's defended and Baker's going to retain. You know, whether it's shenanigans or not doesn't matter. I I just, I don't know if I see... Ruby winning the title already. I feel like there should be some waiting for her to get it. And like I said, I do think Rose is going to do it. But to see uh, Ruby come back and to see her hugging Bryce, because you know those two those two went through everything together, you know, through Chikara and, and all over the place. You know, just for her to be, like, she felt like she was home. And, you know, again, like, I'm not a crier, but there was definitely some emotion in me after that because I felt so happy for her in the same way that I felt so happy for CM Punk, the way that I feel so happy for Adam Cole and Daniel Bryan. Or See, I, I knew I was going to do it once. Brian Danielson and Malachi Black, and the list goes on, right? So, But to give the Battle Royal a rating, it was one and a half stars. Like It's barely enough that I don't give it one, but the match was not... There was really nothing of note. There wasn't like any cool like ways of people avoiding... Actually, that's not true. Was there like a little bit of a... Of a way like that, I think Rosa and them like on the apron, maybe they had like some decently cool way of like evading an elimination, but there wasn't like some crazy moment there. There wasn't like a really cool standout moment aside from just Soho showing up. I didn't I didn't see anything in there that made me go, oh, that's the thing I'll remember from this battle royal in the same vein of like, you know, Joey Janela getting the cigarette friggin' stapled to his head in the first one at double or nothing. Like stuff like that, you know? Was that the all in one? I think that was the all in one. Either way, but you get my point. Like there are moments that I still remember, whereas this one, like, I'm not going to remember anything aside from Ruby being there. So it's a shame, but, you know, I guess, I guess it just keeps going with the fact that, like, you can keep that story that AEW just doesn't book the women very well. And unfortunately, if there's any complaint that I have right now with the company, it's that they aren't doing as good a job with the women as they are doing with the guys. And I want them to do that because I think women's wrestling at its best can rival the guys, if not trump them could absolutely defeat them i mean you go back to like nxt with sasha banks and bailey and matches like that they can kill it so i really want them now that they've got a pretty damn solid women's roster now and you got ruby to like anchor it as as a veteran serena will do the same too when she gets back from injury you have enough people maybe they even come out with mercedes martinez if she wants to still wrestle now that she got released i think there are a few people they could bring in 
just as a veteran presence to finish it off. But I think at this point, if they were to stop apart from like any crazy, like releases the WWE else that that does as well. Like I, you, you could never imagine them getting rid of somebody like an EO or something like that, or even like a Mako Satomura out in NXT UK. But like, if something like that happened, like I jump on that shit, but at this point it's like, okay, just keep looking in the Indies, see who else is coming up, see who's got potential down the road. And let's see where that goes. And obviously you got the Joshis to go from once in a blue moon when they can come down again. Because again, girls like Sakazaki and Ito can also be pretty big stars. But again, you have to be careful on how you use them too because they're such smaller talent. But And I mean smaller in stature, not smaller in, um, in, a, in, in star power. But anyways, moving on. Uh, MGF, Chris Jericho. If Jericho loses, he is never going to wrestle in AEW again. I knew at that point that Jericho had to win. It didn't make any sense to do this match literally a week later. Well, I guess a week and a half later, but a week later. So it made sense. It made perfect sense for Jericho to win. I, I think at this point now, Jericho probably should be going away and being more like a once in a blue moon shows up kind of guy. I think now that his championship reigns over, the inner circle and pinnacle feud is basically done. I, I really don't want them to go to this well again. I think they've done enough with it. Jericho's at least kept his career alive. That's all you need. It's fine. Let it go. If you want to still have the pinnacle and the inner circle still like at each other a little bit, I mean, factions fight all the time. I mean, look at New Japan. They're always fighting. But I I want to see MJF Jericho die. Like, this is it. That's done. It's done. Let it go. It's fine now. And also with Jericho, I think he needs some time to just heal up, get himself right again, because... He again, he's in his 50s now, so he really does need to kind of relax a little bit. You know, I do think that he needs to take a bit of a break because, again, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I think if we don't have Judas being cheered in the crowd for like two, three months, the second he comes back, it's going to be even louder than it's ever been. I really do think that they need to take a second to just pull him back and insert him when they really need him because not everybody needs to be on the show every week and I and I think he's one of those guys now that he's done his time it's time to let him be more of a once in a blue moon appearance but to talk about the match very old school you know after all the crazy stuff that was happening we told our friends that are unfamiliar with wrestling this is where it's all story don't worry about like the actual moves in the match like this isn't going to be like some crazy impressive feats of like agility or strength this is just straight up telling a great story and they certainly did you know, MGF uh, selling the the uh, the the powerbomb on the apron with his back for a bunch in the match. Like, you kept... Like, I actually thought at one point that maybe he actually was a bit hurt because he just kind of screamed out of nowhere. But again, that's how good MGF is at selling things. Just out of nowhere, you just feel like that sharp pain and you scream. It's not a certain moment. It's just, it could be anywhere. And he did a great job at selling the back to the point that you knew that it wasn't going to be the juice effect anymore. And the fact that he got us to almost believe he was going to beat Jericho with the Judas effect by hitting him with, um, why am I blanking on the name of the bat? But he hit him with the baseball bat because at that point, uh, I believe it was, yeah, it was Warlow and Hager were fighting. I'm actually surprised it wasn't everybody else. I thought it was going to be like a full-on uh, schmoz, just everybody out there fighting in just absolute chaos. But it was just those two. A couple referees come down, which was going to be important because... MJF hits Jericho with the bat. Oh, Floyd. There we go. Figured it out. He hit him with Floyd, hits the Judas effect. And as soon as he's near the ropes, I looked at my friends. I'm like, foot's going to be on the ropes. It's fine. 
and Aubrey counted the three and I went and everybody else was shocked. And I was sitting there being like, they're doing a dusty finish, but in the opposite manner, they're doing, they're making everybody think this is it. They're going to think it's coming out on a bad feeling, but like my brain immediately went, there's no way they're going to not overturn this. They were literally just referees outside the ring. And sure enough, you see, I can't remember which, I think it might've been Paul Turner, but one of the refs came down and said like, Hey, his foot was on the ropes. Aubrey. And again, you know, Aubrey's the kind of ref that wants to make sure this shit gets done. Right. So she's trusting the word of them. It's not like a referee ran from the back to say, Hey, his foot was on the rope. It was the ref was actually there in person dealing with getting those couple of guys out and could see the foot on the rope. It made perfect sense. You quickly get the match back. Not too much after that, but MGF gets put in the walls of Jericho. And finally, after pulling him just before he gets to the ropes, you finally get Chris Jericho winning. He keeps his career. Hopefully it's not, you know, every week wrestling because I think the guy has got way too many miles on him and could use a break. Or maybe he just kind of goes and does something fun. Maybe he goes maybe he goes back to Japan and does something fun down the road. Maybe he even does something in Impact, just having some fun there. Who knows? I think it'd be nice for him to just take some time away and let people really, really get back into him. Like, he can come out on Dynamite next, uh, on Wednesday and, and, you know, give a little speech and just be like, hey, I did this. I know I said I'm never, I w- if I won I, or if I lost, I wasn't going to wrestle again. But look, I still need this break because I have, I've, I've proven to myself that I can do it. Now I need to take this time to find myself again because I almost lost it. Something like that. And then somebody who lost it and found himself, we get to CM Punk and Darby Allen. Oh, sorry, I didn't give a rating for MJF and Jericho first. That match, three and a half stars. Really well-told story. Actually, you know what? I'll bump it up to four just because they did such a good job with the finish in terms of getting so many people to fall for it. That was really well done. Really well done. Good storytelling. Just for the finish, I'll bump it up an extra half. So let's go four stars on that. So back to CM Punk, Darby Allen. I was so nervous about this match because my brain went, I know that Punk's going to do the best he can, but he's also a guy who hasn't wrestled in seven years and he's in his 40s now. You never know. But if there's anybody that he can pull something out of with, it's Darby. And to see him come out, full entrance, it's clobbering time. He's wearing pants now, which... I guess at 42 or however old he is, he doesn't feel like walking around in his underwear anymore. Um, It's a nice, interesting, it's a different look. And I imagine that's probably why he did it. Because again, it's, you know, he used to wear the fight shorts in Ring of Honor. Then he wore the trunks in WWE. So now the pants make sense. You know, it's now what he does in AEW. And as this match went on, it was very obvious that at the very beginning, this was about Punk just getting his bearings, just feeling the crowd out, trying to remember how everything goes. And just so a lot of a lot of headlocks, a lot of just quick slams, clotheslines, really slow start. And I was initially going, if this is the full match, I'm worried. But I kept saying, I kept saying to myself, no, don't worry about it. You still got Darby who's going to get his flurry of offense and then things got to pick up. Sure enough, it does. And as the match kept going on, my brain went there is no way this guy is not turning heel. And I mean Punk. There is no way Punk is not turning heel at some point in this run because you know that Punk, when he is at his best, is when he is the biggest prick in that locker room. When Punk is a heel, he can rival MJF. 
or MJF can rival him, depending on which way you look at it. And the way that match was designed is Punk was being very methodical, taking a very, like, reducing Darby from keeping him from doing any of his flying stuff, keeping the speed out. And you could tell, like, there was a moment where the fans were kind of, like, for a moment being like, oh, I don't know about this. Like, they feel like Punk's intentionally screwing with him. And then you had, like, the close... GTS and then Darby gets out of that and then Punk eventually does hit it but Darby goes out of the ring great psychology on that you get the fans pumped up to see it but it's not going to be the finish just yet Darby getting some offense in a little bit sloppy and like you know the whole thing where he goes behind flips up and then does the I think it's the bulldog or the cut no I think it's like a cutter and Punk kind of was weirdly with that was weirdly handling that and you know it is what it is that's a lot of ring rush you got to get rid of but either way Eventually, he catches Darby again when he's trying to do something up in, up in the air. Finally hits the GTS proper in the middle of the ring, gets the win. Sting comes out afterwards. The, it's really quiet because you can tell this, the fans are sitting there being like, somebody's turning, right? And, we don't, and we're all sitting there being like, I mean, Punk could just hit Sting while he's like trying to check up on Darby. Darby, after he like pushed Sting away when Sting was trying to help him up, you know, he could have turned on him. Uh, Sting could have just grabbed Darby and just given him the Scorpion Death Drop, just being like, you fucking dumbass kid. You couldn't even beat a, an older guy? Like, come on. There were so many routes that it could have gone, and the fans were all sitting there being like, shit, somebody's turning at this point, because it, it was such a long, a long moment. And goddamn, were they so good at teasing that. That's how you do it. You get fans guessing. And again, I'm all assuming at this point that Punk is going to be healed down the road. I think it makes sense because he already said he was going to save Darby. And that's the language that he used to do in the straight edge society. Whether that means that he has like a newer society with people. I mean, I, I'd be cool. It'd be cool to see him with Serena back again. I don't think you're going to get Gallows again because he's with the elite and he's with Anderson. I don't think you're going to have that, but it would be nice to see him in his own little stable again, where he's like, He's like the Jesus Christ saving people again, like a straight edge society all over again. I don't know what he would do specifically this time, but it would make perfect sense for that. And I do think it's going to come, but I think obviously you want to get a couple of big matches out of the way that fans will cheer for anyway, just because you know they're not going to cheer against Punk right away. Darby was that first great opponent, and now you can start having some more fun matches. And obviously like he could do things with Jungle Boy or... Um, I mean, do I even really need to go in the list? Like, there's so many guys. Not to mention people that he's wrestled before. Like he said, even on uh, Renee's uh, podcast that came up just before the pay-per-view, you know, I've never wrestled John Moxley. I've wrestled the other guy, but I've not wrestled a John Moxley before. You know, there's so many possibilities, and I'd love to see it. This match, I will give three stars. I'd love to give it more, but again, it was a very slow start. I know it was intentional. I'm positive it was intentional. But again, that first like five minutes or so really dragged a little bit because it made me worry that it was going to be a little bit rough. And then it got better, but it was a perfectly fine match. Like it was, it was a good match. There was nothing I can complain about it aside from it just being slow, but it didn't also have that X factor. It's just, again, it's great to see Punk back in a ring. That's, that's the majority thing that I care about. I could care less how bad the match is unless it's like his MMA fight's horrible because I love Punk and I think he admitted too, his fights sucked. They, they were not good fights. But I'm happy to see him back and to see him as happy as he's ever been. And I can't wait to see what he does next. Quickly, Paul White, QT Marshall. 
we knew it was just it was just the pee break match. It was to ever, get everybody settled down again because you got the main event coming. Basically, QT got almost no offense in there. I was kind of surprised by that. I, and the Gun Club didn't do anything either, so I guess that's something we're going to see down the line. Who knows? I mean, maybe it's something they stick to, to Dark and Elevation for a while because the Gun Club aren't exactly like a big part of the roster. So I don't know. Although Austin Gunn as a heel is going to be a pretty goddamn good thing because that guy has got an easily punchable face, you know? But um, this match was nothing special. Paul White basically squashed Marshall, hit him with a choke slam. That was it. I mean, you had a Camarado and Solo get involved for a tiny bit, but they didn't do anything. But Paul White won. It's it's a one star match. Like it's not. I'm not even saying like it's a bad match. It's just there's nothing to talk about. Like it was a squash, right? You know, if if you're just happy to see Paul White still in the ring, I guess that's cool. But like the match was nothing. It wasn't meant to be anything. It was just meant to be like that quick five minute break in between stuff so people could. Kind of settle down after seeing Punk again and get ready for the main event because they were going to need that voice. And we get to the main event. AEW world title, Christian against Kenny Omega. Christian, who has already beaten Kenny Omega once on Rampage for the Impact world title. This match, I expected to be a little bit better than that. I can't say either way. I think both of them are almost on the same par with each other, you know? Um, Christian never had that close near fall because he never hit the kill switch. Uh, he did hit a couple of spears. They did have a couple of table spots. Kenny brought the table out while Christian was outside of the ring, while Don Callis had the ref uh, distracted, and he stomped on the table. There was also the spear uh, off the apron to, through the table that Christian gave Omega, but Christian took it worse because as the table went, because they landed on the table, like they the table's here, and they landed directly onto the table this way. So Kenny went right into the middle where he should have, Christian kind of was a little bit further out, so when the table broke, one of the legs kind of popped out a little bit, and it must have gashed his, I think it was his right side, so you could see a little bit of blood. Like, it wasn't bad. It was. It, I thought it was going to be way worse when we saw the spot, because it looked like he got clipped pretty good. He still bled, but it wasn't as bad as we all thought it was going to be. But there were some cool moments there. They definitely pulled out the stops a little bit, um, but in, in the end, there was no real point that I thought Christian was for sure gonna have even a shot at it whereas as soon as kenny hit that one wing angel from the uh they're on the top rope that worried me too because that's always a that's always a, a tough bump so you never know but he hits it from the top rope kenny retains uh so i probably give that you know a three and a half star match um i'm actually trying to think would i would i give it a little bit more yeah, you know what? I'll give it four too. Because if I'm if I'm comparing it to the MJF Jericho match, I, I'd say I enjoy that match as much as the the latter two. So we'll match that at four stars. But again, it's not even the important part. Kenny Omega keeps attacking Christian after the bell. Jungle Express try to come out and save the day, but the Elite stop that as well. And everybody is waiting for Daniel Bryan. Like they're already chanting yes. They know it's coming. And Kenny's like saying. You know, are you finally starting to understand Chicago? It doesn't matter where you're from or, or who you are. I win. The only people who have a chance to beat me are already dead. I think he meant to say retired, but he said already tired. So he kind of messed up that up. But he said are already are already dead, retired, not here. I think it was actually, sorry, it was not here. They're already tired, which is what he actually said. But he meant to say retired or they're dead. And as soon as he said dead, boom, lights go out. And people knew. They, they, they wonder, like, there was that suspension of disbelief for a moment. It's like, no, no way, it's him. As soon as dead and the, and the lights went out, you if you know the being the elite stuff, you knew it was Adam Cole. And I was sitting there being like, here it is. Lights don't go out for Daniel Bryan. You would just play it. And as soon as the lights went out and I saw the yellow part of the bar, 
And even that like Rage Against the Machine like intro vocal, I knew immediately it's him. And the crowd just went nuts. Because again, you expected Daniel Bryan. See, I get it again. You expected Brian Danielson. I wonder how long on this show it's going to take me to say his name in one episode without messing it up. It's going to be hard, I'm telling you. Um, although I guess I'm having no problem saying Ruby Soho, so what the hell do I know? I don't know. Maybe because Daniel Bryan was such a big... See, I did it again. I hate this. I need to shut this podcast off now before I do it again, but because Danielson was such a big name in WWE, it's ingrained in my head. It's like... If Cesaro went to AEW as Claudio Castagnoli, maybe I'd be able to pull it off because the name's so different. I think it's because it's Daniel Bryan to Bryan Danielson that it's screwing with my head. Because it's the same syllables, but I'm putting them in the wrong order. Anyways, Adam Cole, Adam Cole, baby, comes out. Crowd is going bananas. And he comes out to the ring. And I'm sitting there being like, Danielson's still coming out. He's going to be, he's going to be turning heel. Cole's turning heel. And immediately I see Jungle Boy struggling in the ropes. And I know, I know now. Cole turns, kicks him in the face. And it makes sense. Cole is is way better as a heel than anything else. Makes perfect sense. And he quickly just says, you know, oh yeah, and the Bucks gave him the old kiss. I was happy to see that too. And he said, you know, who's ready for story time? It's official. The Elite is the most dominant faction in this business. And Kenny again goes back to do his farewell uh does the goodbye and was about to finish it off you hear the flight of the valkyries playing and there's daniel i'm never gonna stop doing this there's brian danielson and again like that pop it's still you're never gonna get the cm punk pop again but because every that pop almost became louder for danielson just because they were all expecting him the first time and there's that moment of disbelief of be like, there's no way they're putting Cole and Danielson on the same show. There's no goddamn way. And there it is. Within like two minutes of each other too. And he comes in there. They clean house with the, uh, with the Jurassic Express. He ends up getting uh, Nick Jackson with a bunch of kicks and then eventually hits the knee that hit beat John Cena. I don't know what they're going to call it now, but man, that's how the show goes off the air. What a fucking show. Um... It's weird because I don't know if this is the best show in terms of wrestling I've ever seen. In terms of AEW pay-per-views. I'd have to actually like go back and look at all of them again. Look at the cards and try to remind myself. But in terms of just overall fun. I have never been so happy watching a show in my life. Not a chance. There's nothing better. You had so much. You had four surprises. Four. You had Ruby Soho. Which we all knew... But you never know. But you got Ruby Soho. You got Minoru Suzuki, who we didn't even expect to be there at all. There was nothing about that. We knew about Brian Danielson pretty much being confirmed because Punk kind of tipped us off to really hammer at home that it was coming. And then Adam Cole, we wonder because Britt Baker did the little psych out on Wednesday and they've kind of been teasing it in, in being the elite and stuff like that. They've made a few references here and there. Just to make us guessing, but we also had heard stories too that Cole's contract was not, he had not signed with anybody. We figured he was going to AEW because after everything WWE has done in the last while with NXT, you know, firing Bobby Fish during Cole's contract negotiations, the whole thing with Cole saying, I need to keep my Twitch channel, all that stuff, you know. 
We all kind of assumed that. But Minoru Suzuki wasn't on anybody's radar. I did not see a single story, and I frequent read it all the goddamn time. And I didn't hear a peep about him showing up. So to see him, that was like the true surprise on the show. But also just getting Cole and Danielson on the same show might as well have been a surprise too. But you had those four things. Then on top of that, you have four fantastic title matches with Miro and Eddie Kingston, Baker and Statlander, Bucks and Lucha Brothers, Christian Kenny Omega. And you get a title, you get at least one title change. You get the Lucha Brothers who everybody loves. It's a great thing. You get CM Punk's first match. You get like a really solid card. I Again, I don't know if this pound for pound is the best card in terms of matches, but in terms of its value, I paid... I could have paid like 80 bucks for this and I would have still been happy. You know, this was a fantastic show and I paid 30 bucks for it. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. I'm so happy with this show. Um, I don't know if I can give this like a star rating for the show. I'm just going to give you two thumbs up. Like this was top of the end. Like I had the best time of my life watching this show. And especially for it to be the first pay-per-view with a full crowd of fans since Revolution, which by the way... I think is the bar. I think that's probably the card I'd look at again and be like, that was the bench setter or the bar setter because that show I think was the time I had the most fun watching too. So again, I'll go back and look at, look at stuff and maybe that's where I'm going to have to start comparing stuff to. But like this show is unbelievably fun. I I'm going to remember so much about the show for a while. I'm still going back and watching the entrances of Ruby and Cole and Danielson and Suzuki and I'm probably going to be doing that for a little bit longer. I'm still, like, once in a blue moon, just watching Punk's entrance again, too. So, like, these are moments that I'm going to keep coming back to. In the same vein, that like, I'll still, once in a blue moon, like, go through that train of looking at old clips of AEW, seeing Sting's entrance, and seeing Malachi come back. And, like, there's stuff like that that it's the stuff that sticks with you. And this show is chock full of those moments that are going to stick with you for a long time. So, man... What a great goddamn show. I cannot wait to talk further about this product. I'm so glad to be back talking about wrestling again. Um, My goal, so this is the end of the podcast. So my goal is to get these up every Tuesday nights. You know, if something is to happen, I'll make sure I let you know using my Twitter at CS Radicals. You can follow me there. Uh, If you guys ever want to ask questions on the show this is something that you know down the line i don't expect to hear anything for for a while because it's a brand new show and i'm in a i am in a land of sharks when it comes to wrestling podcasts i will be shocked if this podcast even even after 10 episodes of this if i if i do this 10 episodes in a row let's say all the way to full gear if i even get 10 views on any of these episodes whether it's on youtube or on any audio service that i get this sucker on i'll be amazed because this is a hot product and if I managed to get any sort of viewership, I'd be happy to. But if you are interested in ever asking questions to be talked about on the show, you can email me at allradicalwrestling at gmail.com. Set that up specifically for you guys. So if you want to just, or even just you want to give your thoughts, whether that's in the YouTube comments, if you're watching the video version of the show, um, if there is any way to give comments on the audio service that you're watching on, do that. Otherwise, there's Twitter and my email. So do that. Thank you so much, guys, for checking this out, and I cannot wait to talk with you more about All Elite Wrestling. This has been a rejuvenating time for me as a wrestling fan who has come in and out of this business. I do not believe that there is a moment in my life, as of Sunday night when I went home, that I have ever been this invested in the sport of professional wrestling, and WWE doesn't even have anything to do with it. So, for the ARW, thank you so much for checking out this first episode. If you are... 
And I will see you next week when we talk about the first Dynamite and Rampage post this incredible night at All Out. Take care, everybody. Enjoy wrestling, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye.